Good day, everyone, and welcome back to The Filibuster, the D.C. Democratic Party's podcast where we talk to local and national Democratic leaders about why they are Democrats and what issues are important to them. My name is Charles Wilson, and I'm the chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. I'm excited today that our special guest is the War II Council member, Brooke Pinto. Brooke, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Charles. Great to see you. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're excited about today's conversation. So we start our podcast off with the same question with our, all our guests. Um, why do you decide to become a Democrat? You know, I've been a Democrat for as long as I can remember. Um, I remember going back to even an elementary school. Our, our school had an opportunity to have pen pals in India with other students who were our age. Um, and I remember being so moved by that experience for talking with on a repeated basis over the course of a year or two with my pen pal who was my same age. We had similar interests in school and yet she didn't have access to the same educational opportunities um, just by nature of where she lived. And that always struck me as fundamentally unfair that no matter how hard some people work or how skilled they are, there are just structures in society that make things very unequal. And the Democratic Party is really all about giving people a leg up and making sure that everybody has the same access to opportunity. And to me, that fundamental fairness is the central role of government and makes me so proud to be a Democrat. Well, we're excited that you are. Um, so thank you so much. So is, has it been a year? Is it been a year that you've been in office? It's coming up on a year. I was okay. sworn in on June 27th. Okay. All so right. one year is coming up. So how has it been uh, this past year? What has been the, the greatest learning experience thus far? It has certainly been unlike anything I've ever done before. Um, of course, central to everything we do has been around COVID recovery and making sure that we can keep our residents healthy and safe, get people tested and the care they need, um, and now lately the vaccinations they need, ensuring that we're providing supports for our families to get their kids back in school, um, and providing supports for our small businesses, so many of which have closed down. And so that's been really fundamental to all of our work over the last year. But I am so grateful to have this position. I think the residents of Ward 2, uh, which I represent, and really across the city, are so engaged in local government. They're so engaged in supporting their community, and that makes serving them and, and working with them so rewarding. All right, awesome. Is there anything that you're excited about or passionate about working on? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much that we're working on. I think um, really central to what we're focused on is equality. And that takes a lot of forms. You know, that's equality among genders. We've introduced period products, access bills to ensure that young girls and women and trans boys have access to period products in all of our schools. Mm -hmm. I think that looking down the line forward, these products should be considered a basic health necessity, the same way we consider toilet paper, kind of in public 
buildings, and that's what I'd like to see throughout DC. But for now, we're focused on the schools, um, equality and access to housing to support our neighbors experiencing homelessness, equality for our LGBTQ community, whether that be the um, panic defense bill to ensure that throughout the law, our our criminal defense code is fair and equal, but that also people have business and contracting opportunities and community spaces to be. Um, equality against ageism and ensuring that our seniors have every access to live comfortably and supported in our community. And then, of course, equality for the residents of the District of Columbia and ensuring that we achieve statehood and are treated like every other resident uh, and citizen across this country and have our fundamental rights be respected, both in the form of having a voting member of Congress and two senators, but also so that we can have autonomy over our own budget and do what we know is right for our local residents. Awesome. So you, you, dropped, you dropped a lot of great nuggets there. Um, looking back over the year, um, has there been like an eye-opening experience for you um, where you just stepped back and said, wow, um, I need to work on this or I need to address it or um, or it, it was something that just, you know, before, before you became the council member that you weren't aware of? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, my experience as a lawyer and working at the D.C. Attorney General's office, I had experience with the legislative process, with working with the council and um, you know, meeting with groups and coming up with ideas and drafting legislation and ensuring that legislation was you know, implementable and enforceable um, and kind of more the, the legal side of providing services to people. And I think as we've seen throughout this year, there are so many D.C. residents who have been relying on government services, many of whom never did before. And I think if anything has taught us why it's important to be a Democrat, it's this year. And it's this fundamental reliance on the government because people were and are struggling due to no fault of their own in many cases because there was this pandemic outside of anyone's control. And the truth of the matter is that was the struggle that so many people were experiencing prior to COVID, but it wasn't always viewed with the same level of compassion. Um, There have been so many things that have come up throughout the year that has been extremely troubling to me um, and motivating, one of which is cash assistance for our excluded workers. We saw so many of them were excluded from federal relief We worked as hard as we could last summer to get additional funding provided in the budget, and it still came out to only $1,000 per excluded worker for the entire year, uh, which is, of course, completely inadequate. And I think it's really important for all of us as lawmakers and in the policy space to remember that this isn't just some exercise happening um, down the street in some locked away room. These are human beings and their lives and their families and every conversation we have, every funding source we find, every negotiation we make affects somebody's life and their ability to support their family that day. And that's been the most uh, motivating piece for me throughout the year to meet with thousands of people 
neighbors in Ward 2 and across the whole city to hear directly from them on what their needs are um, and how there are current gaps in the system and being in a position to try to fill those gaps is what makes this job so meaningful to me. Awesome. Um, you mentioned excluded workers for our audience um, who may not have heard that term. Can you provide a uh, clarity on as far as what that word means? Absolutely. So there were a series of local and federal relief funds that were given last year to our residents who were in need. And there were many metrics associated with how to determine who got those checks. And one of them was your income level. And another one of them was uh, what other supports and services you were receiving. And so there are a number of people who weren't included in those funding sources. So one group are returning citizens um, who were coming back from serving sentences and were unable to access this cash assistance. Another are workers who work in the cash or gig economy, um, many day laborers or child care workers who may receive cash for their services and so weren't included in the traditional model of getting people their checks. And so they were left out of the opportunity to receive that funding. And so when we say excluded workers, we mean all categories of people who weren't accounted for. Understood. Thank you so much for the, uh, providing clarity on that. Um, so going into this year, um, you know, stepping into tomorrow, what do, you, what do you see as the city's biggest challenge? You know, something that's always front of mind for me and that we will be fighting for every day throughout this budget and every day thereafter is supports for our neighbors experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. D.C. has the highest rate per capita of individuals experiencing homelessness in the country. Wow. And Ward 2 has the most neighbors experiencing homelessness in the city. And so this is something that is so important to so many of our residents. We have to move people into housing. That's why I asked the mayor for a $100 million investment in permanent supportive housing vouchers, because we know Band-Aid and quick fixes are not sustainable. We have to give people access to sustained housing and true wraparound services so they can get the physical and mental health care they need, access to job training, and we know that when someone has housing, it leads to all of those other positive outcomes. Your housing is the most stabilizing or destabilizing mm -hmm. thing that, that you can or cannot have in our city, in our society. And until we get this right and until we move our neighbors experiencing homelessness into housing, um, so many of other, our other issues and disparities are going to continue to be exasperated and um, persist throughout throughout time. Um, so that that's really fundamental. I'm also really focused on providing additional supports for our small businesses. We've seen almost 300 brick and mortar small businesses close throughout the pandemic. And the majority of those were also in Ward 2, where we have many small businesses and restaurants. And so I'm fighting for additional funding to help those small businesses with their rent relief to make sure that they can continue employing our residents and keeping open, um, which is really important to our entire community uh, to have small local small business and those businesses thrive. Um, we're also focused on criminal justice reform and making sure that we're caring for the whole person throughout the entire life cycle. That includes everything from after school programming so that our young people 
have access to sports and arts and socialization and supervision, really, when we know that crime increases for young people between the ages of 13 and 17, particularly when they're left unsupervised. All the way to the other end of the spectrum, when people are returning from serving their sentence, to make sure that they have adequate and sustainable supports in housing and job opportunities. If I can just give one more plug for DC sure. statehood. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this is another grave injustice of not having statehood, which you know, Charles, and I know you've worked so hard on this issue. When we have residents who are sentenced to one day over one year in DC, they can be sent anywhere across the country to serve their time. And we're surprised that we have one of the highest rates of recidivism in the entire country. Because when people come back, many times they've lost community connection. Their families were not able to visit them while they were serving time. They weren't able to stay connected to the community, which we know is one of the key ways that we can reduce recidivism and get people connected back to resources and feeling like part of the community. And it's just so important and imperative that we get local control over our jail system. Um, and there are steps that we are taking now, even before we get statehood, to try to rectify some of the situation, including maintaining or re retrieving local control over our parole board. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. If, um, for our listeners, any, if there's anyone out there who's passionate about the issues that you just mentioned, how can they help? So I would love to have you involved. I think that the most, one of the most exciting things, as I mentioned, about our engaged residents. There are so many Democrats uh, across D.C. who are really interested in politics and government and the intersection um, of those things. And it's really important that we focus on our local issues. So when we talk about housing policy that's going on at HUD and how important that is at the Remember that that's being implemented and funded and um, created at our local government level to support our residents. When we talk about President Biden's infrastructure bill and how important it is um, to focus on infrastructure across the country, remember that we have our own infrastructure goals and challenges in D.C. through Vision Zero, through clean energy, making sure that our streets are safe for all street users. Um, and so there are ways to apply that kind of passion and interest in national politics and make sure that you're getting involved in your local government and your local Democratic Party, as well as through our advisory neighborhood commissions. You can come testify at our council budget hearings. Um, there are so many engaged neighbors and residents, and it's so effective when you use your voices together to advocate for the issues you care most about at the local level. Awesome. Um, so, so thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been a really exciting conversation. Um, at the end of our podcast, we allow our guests to leave us our, with any parting words. Is there anything that you want to leave us with? I think just keep the hope alive. This has been such a challenging year um, in so many different ways for so many different people. And I remain optimistic, and I hope people do too, that we are coming out of this. We are returning to in-person activity. We're getting more and more of our neighbors vaccinated. We need to convince everybody in this city to get vaccinated. Talk to your friends and neighbors. 
and colleagues about how important it is to get vaccinated um, and get back to in-person activity. I, I feel and I know we are going to come back so much stronger than we were before with an added focus on equity and inclusion and righting so many of the wrongs of our past. And I think we can do this together so long as we stay optimistic, we get to work, um, and we stay in the fight together. Well, Councilmember Brooke Pinto, thank you so much again for joining us today. We really enjoyed the conversation. And you are always welcome back um, as a member of the Democratic Party to participate in future conversations. Well, thank you so much, Charles. And thank you for all of your leadership with the Democratic Party. It's wonderful to be a part of your team. Um, and congratulations on this podcast. Can't yes. wait to keep, keep <laughs> listening. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day.